Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop and joined alongside me as you've come to expect, Shelby King. Shelby, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It feels like it's been a while since we last recorded because we knocked a couple out while um, the gents were in town from our London office, but really hasn't been that long since we've recorded. No, and uh, you know, we, we had like a string of guests there for a while. We had... Uh, uh, some of the guys from uh, Empire Flippers on, and then uh, we had you know, John and Paul uh, from across the pond, and so we've been uh, you know getting a lot of time in with guests, but we haven't really uh, had a chance to get back into kind of the traditional format of the show. So I'm I'm excited to kind of dig into things because the world of publishing is uh, volatile right now. There's a lot of things that are kind of changing and uh, vying for position. So it's an exciting time to be talking about this space. I think. Yeah, um, I think we should probably start with what everyone's talking and thinking about the most, I'm sure, which is Google's September core update. Um, So Google's rolled out another core update at the very end of last month. And just like the update in June, they gave us a little heads up on Twitter beforehand. And as always, their advice is just to wait it out and focus on making quality content. But do you have any other advice or have you noticed any other trends since the update has rolled out? So uh, I'll kind of I'll, I'll give the same advice that I give to uh, uh, a lot of publishers, and if you follow me on any of the social channels, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of that stuff, um, I tried to post this out there for everyone. Um, so, like the best advice I can give anyone, and the really only benefit of Google telling us ahead of time that they're doing this um, is that you can do nothing about it. And it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but the biggest thing is the last thing you want to do is to check your website in two weeks or a week and see that traffic has gone down. Um, it'd be great if it went up, uh, but the the truth is what you're concerned about is, is navigating something if it's gone down. And if your traffic's gone down, what you don't want to do is be able to say, well, I was really worried about the update, so I changed my theme or I uh, removed all the comments from my uh, my website or... I uh, changed the navigation or I added author pages to everything. There's all these different things that you may may decide that you want to do about something, but the best time to do that is after the dust is settled, not as things are, are taking place because then it'll be really hard to navigate if you maybe created a problem for yourself. So it's not even so much that um, the chain, the removing of comments or the changing of a theme, which could negatively impact or positively impact things, depending. Um, it's more that even in doing those things, a lot of times publishers will make small mistakes that could, you know, be just fundamentally something they could go easily fix. But now you have some noise and you don't know if, you know, it's truly Google or if it's something that you've done. So I always tell publishers when you hear about an update, the best thing you can do is just take your hands off the wheel for a little bit and uh, come back to it in a few weeks. Google usually is tweaking things quite a bit. Um, Just like medicine, I've used this example before, when you roll something out in the wild, you realize that there's all kinds of weird reactions you weren't expecting. So um, Google will usually make some updates within the first week. And then after about two or three weeks, you kind of know where you stand. And, And from there, you can, you know, just try to do your best to follow the webmaster guidelines and and you know, do what you think you need to do to create great content. Compare your your sites, the pages that have lost traffic, to the pages that has overtaken it in search. See if you can maybe glean something from that. Um, but 
yeah, I, I, I would say Google's kind of take on this where it's not a penalty is a really great way of looking at it. It's not a penalty. It's really just kind of this is what they're looking for now, so how do you cater to that? Right. Um, can our listeners expect any blog posts or maybe an Exoic Explains on this topic, or is it just one of those things that we expect to happen at this point almost every quarter and it's kind of the same news again and again? I think if we see data that is unique or, or tells us something that would be helpful to publishers, we'll, we'll certainly uh, share that. Uh, so far, w- what I've seen from the data that we've pulled, um, there's nothing that can be gleaned from it that... Um, that I think would be overly directionally helpful for publishers. There's anecdotal stuff that's out there. I would ignore all the stuff out there where it's like, oh, I heard that uh, websites about whales were hit the hardest. These updates actually only f- affect about 3% of the internet, according to Google, who knows. Um, but that 3% is still millions and millions of websites. And um, even if somebody could give you accurate data on all of those, um, I'm... Well, that would actually be helpful. But either way, um, no one can. Uh, even if somebody has um, information on thousands of websites like we do, um, if we could give you something definitive, it's still such a small drop in the bucket in terms of data sample sizes that I don't know that it's overly helpful. Um, in our case, I would say uh, it's an anecdotal thing, but it does seem um, to kind of align with just generally what we've seen across the board with these updates that financial sites um your life your money yeah that category seems to always be affected the most but you know what's funny is going back i think a couple weeks ago you brought up there had been a study where those particular sites they gleaned the majority of their traffic in general from google search um i I can't remember it was like badger something study do you remember that it was it was the same one where they had the social media stats yeah uh, i can't remember it's like growth badger or something 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 odd like that but Um, so it may just be happenstance, but uh, I do think that one of the things to really consider is if you make money off of affiliate stuff on your site and you're not disclosing that or um, or in any way the content looks like it's maybe catered to basically secretly sell people stuff or push a product or service as opposed to provide information, it does seem to be something that I've noticed with sites that have gotten hit pretty hard. So it's one thing to think about is how hard are you are you pushing down on the, the affiliate gas pedal and are you doing proper disclosures and things along those lines? Right. So earlier in the intro, you kind of mentioned right now there's a lot of volatility in the industry and um, a lot going on with regulation. So um, my next topic is Google says it will exclude French publishers from search results. So France is the first country to see backlash from the European Copyright Directive. Um, This is also known as Article 11. So this law was an attempt to force large platforms like Google and Facebook to pay publishers a so-called link tax when platforms use small snippets of a publisher's content, um, such as the text that would appear in a Google search result. Uh, The only issue is that Google is pretty much refusing to play ball with these publishers by telling them that they're not going to pay them to display content in search results. Instead, the results will just be left blank and publishers will have to opt in to have their content shown. So some publishers are calling this blackmail. Um, This is actually the first I've heard of Article 11, but um, what are your thoughts on all this? 
Well, it's funny because uh, I'm the in both whether you live on one or the other side of the argument doesn't matter. But I'm hearing both use words like blackmail, shakedown, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I think it's funny because uh, it's the whole point of having, um, uh, I guess, a platform in general. I, I think in this space, everyone is trying to be large enough or big enough to where they can basically have a unionized voice to be able to say, we have the power to negotiate. Um, and when you do that, like, so in this case, Google has the upper hand where, you know, you you imagine this in the terms that we're talking about. So you have a mobster come to a business and they say, hey, it'd be a shame if something happened to this. You need to maybe pay us a little bit of cash to make sure that, you know, this continues to operate the way that it should. And then the business owner says, nope, we're good. We'll protect ourselves. And if um, you want protection, <laughs> you should actually pay us um, or at least opt in uh, in Google's case. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I do think that Google has the upper hand here. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know really what um, it's uh, sort of a I, I remember whenever this first came out, it was kind of like seems more show than go, if you will, from the, the French government. But uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But I wouldn't imagine Google uh, saying, yeah, we're going to it would be a terrible precedent for them to set, I would imagine, for their business to say we're going to pay um, every time we use a rich snippet or, you know, something in our search results. Right. I feel like French publishers aren't the only ones uh, bending at the whim of Google. We've been trying to secure a date for our London Pubtelligence for a while, but there's lots of back and forth there. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to announce a date coming up pretty soon in the next episode. Yeah, hopefully so. And I think, you know, it's a good example of uh, Google is a large organization. They're like a government in of themselves. Um, you know, I often I'll have friends or family members, they'll say, oh, uh, so-and-so's friend works at Google. Do you know them? And it would it would be the same as if you had a nephew or, you know, a sibling in the Navy. And uh, you would say, oh, uh, my uh, my boss has a sister that works at the IRS. Do you know them? And be like, of course not. It's a completely different branch of government and they work in a totally unrelated thing. Google is the same way, you know. And I think that... Um, People think that it's this big, you know, uh, kind of focused organization, but it's it's not necessarily it's not necessarily that way. And so, when you are dealing with them, when you're talking about things like regulations, you're dealing with almost like a government body in a lot of respects. Right. Uh, the next thing I want to touch today is um, the new st the new Yoast update will opt users into all snippet features by default. Um, so this is from Search Engine Land and the WordPress plugin's newest 12.2 version, um, which was released on August 1st, will automatically opt users into all of its snippet features. So if you don't want these features, you may not want to update to the version 12.2. Um, Google recently announced the new snippet settings um, to provide site owners with options to limit the content included on their search listings. But do you think or do you see any downsides to just automatically kind of getting all these snippet features in Yoast? If you're a Yoast user, um, the the biggest concern that I would have um, thinking independently is that uh, I've now put my rich data in the hands of uh, a third-party tool provider. Um, and in this case, uh, one that's doing a lot of things automatically where there's not a lot of control. And so my biggest issue is um, if something they do... Uh, implements the data incorrectly on my site, 
Google has sent out a lot of warnings recently on improper markup. Uh, you may not be able to serve rich data. In the future, Google may give you a manual penalty that they say is like not a real penalty, but just prevents your site from showing any rich snippets at all. Um, so to me, that's, that's sort of dramatic, especially if you derive a lot of traffic from that. Um, that now you basically have a third-party tool that could potentially cause you issues. Like it conflicts with something else that you have, which, I mean, Yoast has not been perfect over the years um, in that respect. I personally have a remember a scenario probably five or six years ago where I updated a Yoast plugin on a site and got the you know the the dreaded white screen of death where you can't even access your admin. You got to restore from a backup and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I would say that's the risk. But other than that, if uh, this is not something you're actively managing or um, you're not really sure how to do this, um, implement rich data on your site or really don't want any level of control over it, uh, I would say that you're probably in 98%, 99% of cases probably fine with using that. Perfect. Um, so the last thing on deck today is an article um, from DigiDay, and it's how Berta, Berta Media increased ad revenue by cutting ad clutter. So Germany's Berta Media has been on an ad calling mission, cutting a quarter of ad impressions across eight sites in their digital portfolio. So by doing so, digital ad revenues slowly rose back up with an average 38% year-over-year lift recorded across its eight titles in 2018. Um, its flagship news title, Focus Online, now has over 23 million monthly unique users, um, and advertising accounts for 95% of its entire revenue. So the publisher initially decided to take drastic action when ad blocking reached crisis levels in 2016. Um, this is when ad blocking was around 30% for publisher traffic, and that's according to eMarketer. Um, the CMO said that reducing the number of ad impressions available wasn't really an easy sell to executives, as you can imagine. Um, but they believe that users would turn more ad blockers on if they didn't cut down on their ads. So uh, Berta Media dropped intrusive banner ad formats, such as those that take over a large portion of the screen. Um, also, those that kind of cover editorial content in the process. And just removing those formats alone cost the publisher quite a large chunk overnight. Um, they also introduced a smart ad loading process where ads only load after the user had started scrolling down the page. After doing so, the viewability increased. Uh, Berta was able to generate some commercial native ad partnerships for the first time um, due to this increased advertiser interest. And after three months of revenue loss, advertisers began to respond to the new setup by increasing their average bids um, on programmatic and also direct. So that was <laughs> quite a lot to get out there, but I see you smiling over there. I don't know if it's good or bad smiles. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's good smiles because I think um, it's, uh, it highlights something I think all publishers should know and understand about uh, the digital programmatic ecosystem. But uh, it's so funny the premises they started with because they're, they're terrible. The ad blocking. The, the ad blocking, the, the uh, implementation um, and then I thought it was funny that they said they were able to begin working on new native ad partnerships. It's no, they were they they had to force they had to create new native ad partnerships um, because they were losing money. Um, but no, I, I think uh, so. Let, let's go back to the very beginning. So they the this was a self self drive effort based on 
third-party data about ad blocking, right? They they said they read an e-marketer study about right, yeah. ad blocking being 33%. And then this is a, a German media company, right. so it might be a little bit different. Ger- Ger- Germany definitely has higher ad blocking rates than, um, than uh, I would say, well, the, the vast majority of the rest of the world. Uh, 33% still is incredibly high. I'd be surprised about that, but it's still always unique to different types of publishers. Um, that being said, uh, people don't turn ad blockers on and off on a website by website basis. If they have an ad blocker installed, you know, a lot of people tell you it's kind of too late already, meaning like the things that you do as a publisher are very unlikely to, um, to get somebody to go, you know what, these ads are not that aggressive. I'm going to go ahead and turn off my ad blocker now. Um, so I, I, I don't know that the, the entire starting premise was a great one. Um, the idea of getting rid of ad clutter, though, uh, I think is a good one. The problem with that is is almost no one knows how to do this properly. Even really good ad ops uh, folks really don't have the, the foresight and are usually in a position to where um, the kind of, uh, I guess, kind of taking a step back, looking at things uh, in a quarterly, yearly, annually, uh, not necessarily a month over month or week over week fashion is the best way to approach kind of observing some of this. So they mentioned after three months they saw direct and programmatic bidders uh, increase their bids. This is super common. So uh, our producer Alan and I were having a discussion about this uh, yesterday evening. Um, and so one of the things you may learn is that um, you know you may have an ad at the top of all your pages. And on certain visitors that ad may be diluting the value of other ads so much that it's not worth having that ad there, Um, meaning it takes away from the attention, people scroll past it really quickly. Um, But for whatever reason, those types of users, let's say um, users coming from Google search um, from the United States, let's just say that they do not click uh, on that ad almost ever because they scroll right past it. And so that ad doesn't perform great. Um, advertisers bid for that because it's top of the page, but um, it's actually causing the rates for all the ads on the page to be lower because it keeps the value keeps going lower because people aren't taking action on it. So you remove that ad. So now people aren't scrolling quickly past it. The ads on the rest of the page become more valuable because there's more limited inventory. At first, you're going to lose money because you're going to have a lower page RPM. Um, the value of all the ads on the page will stay the same. All bidding is based on historical value. So those sidebar ads or ads within the content are going to keep the same value and you've removed an ad now. So your page RPM is going to go down. Um, maybe user experience improves. Maybe they visit other pages, in which case, great. If, uh, you could show that you could show that session RPM actually went up. So you made money, but realistically you probably lost money at that point. That said, um, over the next few weeks or months, with, what you're going to see is that advertisers are going to start not being able to get placements on that page because they used to be bidding with the um, understanding that there was maybe, let's say, seven ads on the page and now there's six. So now their chances of winning that position have gone down. And now, because people aren't scrolling past that first ad, maybe they're clicking on other ones more. So those ads have actually become more valuable to advertisers. So now in this situation, we have a certain type of user that we've limited the inventory on, and now advertisers have adjusted their bids. So now I'm showing fewer ads, and I'm making more money, and the value of that inventory has gone up. Um, 
And this is a really common thing that anyone can do. The problem is, is it takes a lot of careful planning, thought, and data analysis. And this is one of the biggest reasons why uh, we, you know, obviously advocate technologies like Ezoic because um, that's essentially what Ezoic is always trying to figure out how to do uh, on a per user basis. But I think what everyone in this space misses is that um, the entire experience that every visitor has is different and every user is affected by ads in some way. And all ads have the ability to not just dilute each other, but the value of everything else in the page. That includes the content. So ads are something that need to be personalized as much as possible and not in terms of targeting, but in terms of where they're located, the sizes, the density, all that sort of thing. And uh, there's no just set it and forget it thing. So when I hear uh, somebody saying, we just, we lopped out X percentage of ads, or we, we said no above the fold, or we said none of the, it's, it's like saying, I'm going on a diet and I'm not eating any foods that are uh, blue. That's the thing. And it's like, well, like there's a, probably a better way to, to look at this. You could look at calories, you could look at calories burned. It's like too complicated, just green foods. That's all I'm eating. You know, if it's green, I can eat it. If it's brown, I can't. Those types of kind of like distinctions usually are not all that healthy. And uh, the same can be said for uh, ad ops, I would say. Right. This uh, scenario with Berta Media kind of reminds me of like when you're taking a math test and you like use the wrong equation, but you still get the, the right, right answer. answer. Yeah. <laughs> or the wrong formula. That's why I was smiling at the end. I was kind of like, well, they, they, had, they got a great takeaway. They just did all the things wrong mm -hmm. uh, and started from um, – and there's a lot – we've talked about this a couple times here recently where the story is – you know, that's the narrative at the story. But, it, you know, in a lot of ways, what you're hearing is um, an executive within that business justifying a, something that they've done that in this case has obviously lost the money. Right. Um, and they're actually trying to, how can we spin this major revenue loss into some kind of like PR positive? I just want to say, well, that's good PR. Um, but that's all I have for this week. Is there anything else that you've got going on? There's not. I just, uh, I would say that, the world of digital publishing is getting more and more exciting, but that also means more complex. And um, we want to thank you for joining us and listening to the podcast. Hopefully this information continues to be helpful. I know we've heard from, uh, I've heard from a couple different listeners here recently that have really enjoyed the show. And uh, yeah, we continue to kind of brainstorm different ways that we can um, provide the audience with things that you like and, and enjoy. And if you have ideas for us, you can always send us an email at uh, skang at ezoic. Um, Toby would be happy to hear your ideas or thoughts on things we could do to make the show better or more enlightening. And I think that's it. Anything from you? Nope, that's all. Thanks Alan, for listening. Alan, you're not mic'd up today. You can just shake, shake your head yes or no. E either way, you're not mic'd up, so. <laughs> he says he's good, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, blink twice if we're holding you captive. <laughs> all right, thanks, everyone. We want to, we'll, uh, uh, yeah. Well, just thanks, everyone. <laughs> We'll catch you next time on The Publisher Lab.